With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Good afternoon, listeners. Today is June 4th, 2014. We have a very special guest on our show today. Her name is Holly Kinley, and she's a California licensed marriage and family therapist. She holds a master's degree in psychology with an emphasis in marriage, family, and child counseling. She is also the author of a really great book called Mountain Air, Relapsing and Finding the Way Back, One Breath at a Time. Today's topic is going to be about addictions and how to overcome them. And and it's rare that I ever meet a single individual that hasn't had some form of addiction at some point in their life. (laughs) It's just how it is. (laughs) So um, let me uh, bring on Holly. Hello, Holly. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me on your show, and I am really looking forward to this conversation, as you said, on addictions and probably with a, a pretty close focus on relapse, and, and that can affect a lot of individuals as well. Wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy starting the show out by asking my guests, how they got on the path that they're on today, because they're always such interesting stories. I would love to do that. I'm going to speak, when I answer this, I'm going to speak kind of specifically to this book, Mountain Air, because uh, I think okay. that, that would make it relevant to our, our topic today. I grew right. up in the Central Valley of California, and I've often referred to this environment as my betrayal environment because growing up there, I endured some injustices, which we may get to a little later on. It wasn't until I moved away, gosh, Denise, over 25 years ago that I began my recovering work and journey both professionally and personally. And so this may sound strange to the listening audience when I say that about six years ago, my husband and I made the decision for all the right reasons to move back to this Central Valley where, as I said, I refer to it as a very difficult environment for me to be in. But like most people who've worked really hard on their recovery, I thought, you know, I'm strong enough. Certainly, I have enough healing under my belt. You know, I'm a professional. I get all of this. And I thought I could return to an environment that was contrary to my well-being and be just fine. Well, like most people who relapse or regress into unhealthy behaviors, I misjudged a lot of factors. And mm. like most people who return to an unhealthy way of being, and this is critical, Denise, is that I was filled with shame. I know we're going to talk more about that later, but shame is such a paralyzing emotion. I was so disappointed in myself. I had self-blame and guilt. And for almost two years in this emotional decline, 
after almost two years, I hit bottom. And from there, though, I began re-embracing a series of time-tested lessons that I had integrated into my well-being and recovery program many years before. And by reintegrating them, I found the strength and courage to begin again. I wrote Mountain Air as my recovery tool. I, I write. That's one of my recovery mm-hmm. tools. So I wrote mm-hmm. it for myself. I was never going to share it with anyone. And then what I I feel like I discovered and uncovered about relapse and shame is that I thought I have to share this because I want to encourage others, support others, and help them break through that wall of shame that keeps us bound. That's really interesting that you talk about shame because it was it's always my uh, impression that it's usually guilt that people have mm. a difficult time with. You know, Denise, when I really started, you know, thinking about my own experience and then thinking about former clients and talking with other people, if you know, if we don't talk about it, we, it's, it's even difficult to mention that word. You know, I have an acronym, an acronym for it, and that's self-hatred and malignant embarrassment. And so if, just sit for that, with that for a minute. If it's self-hatred and malignant embarrassment, how is it that we're even going to want to talk about it? We will say, oh, I feel guilty. I feel embarrassed. I mean, you may say embarrassed. I feel angry at myself. I feel worthless. I feel, you know, regret, remorse. But it, it is even hard to get out that word of shame. It's really, huh, it's very complex because it involves a lot of different emotions. Yes, it does. I I believe, Denise, and that the shame is the umbrella emotion under which a lot of other feelings and emotions then, you know, kind of reside. And as, you know, reading through Mountaineer, which I know you have, is that in, in I believe until we address the shame that we remain stuck in our addiction or in our whatever the the relapse or the regression is into unhealthy behavior. So it's I just believe that it's absolutely critical to address it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk further about it. Okay, I'd love to. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I think is so important with shame in its relationship to any kind of relapse or regression is that, as I said, it's it's debilitating and it's suffocating. But there is the, and people who've been in 12-step programs probably can connect this and understand what I'm going to be saying here, is it's very cyclical in nature, the the shame and the relapse. Let let me give an example. And when I, when I give names, Denise, I just, for the listening audience, I'm, I'm, I'm using client examples, but I've changed their names to protect anonymity and confidentiality. So I'm going to just give this person Great. the name of, of Bill, okay? Okay, that's great. All right, mm-hmm. so Bill Bill is a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he's in his 50s. He's been clean and sober for about five years, and um, he picks up a, a drink. And we'll talk about how that happens in a, in a little bit. But he picks up a drink, and immediately he feels shame. He's, you know, blown his program. He's chosen oh, this behavior, okay. and 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 he knows he's disappointing himself. Mm-hmm. He's disappointing loved ones. Okay, so the shame comes up. So what okay. is one going to do to self-soothe that shame? You're going to take another drink, and another drink because that that shame is so intolerable. It's so uncomfortable, and so the shame fuels and feeds the relapse, and then the to deal with that, the, the relapse fuels and, feels, feeds, fuels and feeds the shame. So it's very oh. cyclical in nature. And I think that's key when we're looking at how, how we begin to then, you know, recover from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listeners, we're, we're talking today with Holly Kinley. She's the author of the book Mountain Air. She's a marriage and family therapist. And if you don't have the time to listen to the entire interview, I highly recommend that you listen to our podcast that will go on to iTunes. So, so go ahead, um, Holly. 
Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to say, Denise, before we go a little bit further, because it's mm-hmm. so important to me that people hear why I wrote about relapse the way that I did. And because it's, in my opinion, never really been addressed in the way that I have as a universal experience, that I want other people to know that it's, especially people in addiction or those kinds of issues, that they're not alone and they don't have the market on this whole idea of relapse and shame, that there's so many other people that get this and understand it, and I get it and understand it. And, you know, there's so much self-condemnation and self-judgment that goes along with this that it's another one of the reasons I wanted to publish Mountaineer and get it out there because I wanted people to be able to connect. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. This is a, a shared experience that I had with you. It's different than yours but yet there's this common denominator of of shame and and other pieces too to it. So I I just want to get that out there that, I mean, it can be anything from, you know, falling off of an exercise program or walking away from a a ritual or practice that's been an important part of your being and your well-being. It can be returning to an unhealthy relationship or a codependent relationship or a, a toxic or battering relationship. It's anything that we do where we fall back into Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. unhealthy ways of being. So I I just wanted to put that out there so that someone who's listening is saying, well, I don't have a problem with addiction. Well, and and many people don't. At the same time, I think most of us at one time or another have fallen back into a pattern that that we're not proud of. And so that's why I wanted to make that connection with other examples. Uh, another thing that I write about in Mountaineer that, that I think is so important, in fact, I think it's absolutely critical to our topic of recovery from, from relapse, is I talk about the outer layers of shame and I talk about the inner core of shame. It's my belief, Denise, that until we start to address the outer layer of shame, and as I said, shame mm-hmm. is the umbrella over the self-hatred and the guilt and, and mm-hmm. all of that. And what we need to do is start to peel, talk about it, peel it away, process it, and release it. And because if we, again, if we don't, we're going to remain stuck. And and so it's you know I have, mm-hmm. I'm really big on naming our pain so that we can then mm-hmm. understand it and then work through that. And I, I think that is the absolute critical juncture to begin in our recovery work. Again, I want to give another example, and um, this kind of, it, I think, says it pretty pretty clearly, is that um, I was working with a, a client. I'll give her the name of Shauna. She was an amazingly talented teacher in her early 40s, and uh, she had two young children and a great husband, Shauna was extremely overweight and to the point that it was affecting her health. Well, when she came in, we were working on some other issues, uh, but she was so filled with this shame and all the other emotions that come with that for all the failed diets that she had been on that she really couldn't even begin to try again. Now, I'm not an eating disorder specialist, but my point here is that in her work with her eating disorder specialist, she couldn't really even begin to go there. She was embarrassed to go back to that counselor because of all this shame and blame. So we began to, she got caught in this trap of relapse, believing that she was nothing. And so we began to work on that and peel away those layers and to process them and release them. So that is really important. Now, the inner core of shame, and I want to say up front that I don't believe that everybody has a deeply embedded inner core of shame, where there Mm -hmm. are injuries and injustices that are repressed and really kept at bay because of the the denial and and shame and other defense mechanisms. Well, Mm -hmm. as Sean and I continued to work together over, you know, several, several months, and this is a very difficult story to share, but I, 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 this makes my point here. As we okay. got through those outer layers of shame and got to her inner core, 
what was there were years of sexual abuse perpetrated by her brother on her. And so here's my point to this, Denise, and of course we we dealt with it tenderly and just compassionately and carefully. When we did that and rooted out that core of shame, in my opinion, we then got her on a path that she was able to not only sustain recovery and maintain it, but of course to go on and lead a much more whole, well way of being. Because let me say it a different way. I believe if those inner cores are not rooted out and tended to, that that shame is going to resurface. There's going to be triggers or, you know, precipitating factors that we come into contact with that ignite that, and then we fall back into that addiction or whatever that unhealthy behavior is to self-soothe and medicate. So I, I just think it's absolutely mandatory to deal with that. Now a person has to be in professional help, and, of course, they have to be ready and willing you know, to to look at those injuries and injustices, and and that takes the tender work of a of a professional. Okay, so what's the difference again between an outer layer of shame and an inner core of shame? Again, the outer layers, and I don't mean to minimize this by any means, because the those layers of of guilt and remorse and regret and worthlessness and and feeling paralyzed because you have relapsed. They need to be peeled away. Look at what's underneath them. You know what? For example, mm-hmm. and this is another whole show, Denise. But I'll say that you know many <laughs> times underneath those life, underneath those the guilt or the remorse mm-hmm. are are unhealthy life messages. Like you know, I am nothing. I you know I wasn't. I, I can never satisfy anybody. I'm not good enough. Well, those, of course, can be worked through and processed, and, you know, there's a lot of work that can be done in those areas. And then that frees the person up to get back into their recovery program and to re-embrace their processes and healing tenants that keep them on a path of recovery. What I'm saying at the same time is if if there are some deeply rooted, embedded injustices or injuries that, and I don't believe that everybody has, I'm just saying that if they are there, that that can be a setup for not being able to maintain or sustain recovery because that shame is still there, but on a deeper and level. It, and, w- and when you talk about a deeper level, mm-hmm. are you equating that to also the inner core which would then equate to our subconsciousness? Um, it it could be. I think more what I'm saying is that, you know, the, our defense mechanisms are so strong, you know, whatever, whatever, the denial and the disguise and, and, and the, then the, the unhealthy behaviors that we take on in order to to keep that injury at bay. You know, my, my specialty, Denise, is in dealing of, in areas of abuse and trauma. And so okay. I know, know very well that a client cannot access that injury unless he or she is ready to do so. You can't force that. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, like with Shauna, is that, once we dealt with that past sexual abuse mm-hmm. and she and she was heal, healed and freed up from that that shame was gone and again this took a lot of months of work that she was ready then to address the eating disorder she could was felt strong and encouraged and you know, really went full force back into that work with her with her eating disorders uh, specialist and counselor. So it it just it can keep us from fully embracing our recovering paths, if that makes sense. While you were working with her, did she actually have memories of these injustices? 
Oh, yes, uh, she did. And um, I, I use a life, what I call a life messages exercise, which, again, would, would probably be a different, a different show. But I, I share that because it allows the clients to use whatever modalities works well, works well with them. It could be something creative, artistic. Um, it, you know, it, it just it's a really neat exercise that allows them to kind of safely tap into um, their past if, again, they're ready and, and willing to do that. Okay. And with Shauna, we actually used a story. It was a story that was a favorite um, of hers. And I mean, that's how tender the work is. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that as well, is so that we used um, this narrative of an, another individual that helped us to access those traumatic memories and events. Ah, okay. Mm. Okay. Gotcha. So what are some of the most common traps that individuals fall into, say, during an episode of a relapse? or when struggling to move out of one. Yes, those those nasty traps. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I've got a couple here. I, one is that I would say, and we've kind of alluded to it already, is is staying in that feeling of, of, of hopelessness and, and helplessness. One of my books, prior books, Denise is on betrayal, and I, I, I say that because I really feel that when we relapse, we betray ourselves, our, our own truths. We, we, we choose it, and we let ourselves down. And, and with that, and I talk about this in my betrayal book, that we feel very confused, worthless, you know, like a zero and nothing, and we feel powerless. And, and I mean that in the sense that we feel paralyzed. Uh, that we that there's no hope in changing, there's no way to change, and that is a trap. And those, that's that in 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 the twelve step program they call it that stinking thinking, you know, the, those that personality of lies that wants to tell us we are no good, we are no better, we're we're stuck here, we can't do any better, and that is just simply not the case. So that's a trap. And then number two, and these kind of is twofold, is that we mm-hmm. stay away too long from the healthy people, places, and things that, that support us, love us, and care about us. Now, we stay away, again, because we're ashamed, feeling guilty, mm-hmm. feeling worthless, all of that. But in, in frequenting or becoming in contact with unhealthy people, places, and things, then we stay stuck and we're in that trap. And these are people, places, and things that don't want necessarily to see us do better and feel better. So that's kind of a, a twofold trap. We avoid the people who really do care about us and want the best for us, and we hang out with the unhealthy people and places and things that want to keep us down. Hmm. Do people go through a certain process before they're willing to address their issues? Um, let me see if I'm understanding you right. If they, I mean, where they really want to then choose choose wellness, they want to choose to, to move yes. out of it. Yes. Uh, they, yes, and and you know, there's not there's not one straight answer. There, kind of a, a general thing is that that people quote unquote hit bottom. But I've mm-hmm. also seen many people who will, you know, re, you know, call their sponsor, get back into their, you know, AA meetings, or you know, get the support of a, of a support group or healthy friends. You know, this something I have to share this, Denise, because I'll I'll never forget this is when I was an intern many many years ago. I had the privilege of attending a week long. A training and workshop at the Betty Ford Center in Southern California. Uh, it was called Professionals in Residence. And I say it was a privilege because I learned so much about addiction and relapse and everything. And we, mm-hmm. what we were allowed to do, we didn't sleep there with the patients or the clients, but we were there from early morning to late at night, went through the full day, their whole schedule and classes and recovery groups and all that. 
this one class that I took that was taught by a, a staff person, a veteran recovering alcoholic, a phenomenal man. Um, it was called The Personality of Lies and the Personality of Truth. Oh. And this is where I, I got it. And he okay. said, what happens is that as soon as you begin even to contemplate Relapse, you know, contemplate taking that drink or stopping that diet mm-hmm. or not. Okay, is that there's a little voice on one side of your head, or you sit on the you know one side of your on your right shoulder mm-hmm. that says, you know, the personality of truth that says, don't do it, don't pick up that <laughs> drink, don't go there, don't make that mm-hmm. call, and then on the other side, louder is the personality of lies, this other voice saying. Do it. You can take one drink. You can go hang out with them for one night. You can, you know, you can take just take two mm-hmm. drinks. You can, and that is a battle right there. That is a war that is being raged in the mind. And yes. so, if if you choose the personality of lies, you're going down that that relapse road. Mm-hmm. If you choose the personality of truth, you're going to embrace wellness. So, to get back to your question, it's when you are ready to embrace the truth. Okay. And it is different for everybody, but generally that's the the point right there. Okay. Because I know it can take many, many years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It can take many, many years. Yes. Yes, it can. Right. And I don't know what it is about the human human personality that just won't let that, that... personality of lies go and really see the truth behind their actions. And, and we, and we've they're, meant, hurting, they're hurting a lot of people in the process. Right. Right. In Mountaineer, Denise, I t- we've talked about denial, but I talk about defense mechanisms, and certainly this this is one that fits under, and I, I call them masks because we really put them on the mask mm-hmm. of denial is what is going on with this personality of lies and the personality of truth, those, those voices. The mm-hmm. next one is the mask of disguise, where we have to start pretending everything mm-hmm. is okay, and it takes tremendous work and energy, and the lies fuel and feed that. And then mm-hmm. the mask mm-hmm. of detachment, where we start pushing people away and we pull away to continue our our facade and to continue mm-hmm. our you know our our relapse because it's too painful oh. to to be facing the truth. Okay. That's excellent explanation. Does that help? <laughs> I'm sure it helps a lot with our listeners too. What's the biggest myth about relapse? Okay, thank you for asking this, Denise. I I mm-hmm. think this is so important. I mean, again, I keep saying this is critical, that's critical, but this is really important for our listening audience. And even until this happened with me, Denise, I didn't get it. All my years as a therapist and dealing with, you know, different so many different issues, mm-hmm. I didn't get this. That sure. relapse or regression has nothing to do with a lack of willpower. In my opinion, it has nothing to do with a lack of willpower and just not being able to pick yourself up. Here is the point. There is a buildup. There is a physiological, emotional, or psychological chain of events that happen that then lead to triggers and or precipitating factors that lead to the relapse. Now, this can happen over Mm -hmm. minutes. It can happen over hours, days, or months that this chain of events. Now, let me give give an example again of a client client the name of of Tamara. Okay. Okay. So Tamara is a very successful businesswoman in her late 30s, she mm-hmm. had been divorced from her controlling alcoholic husband for many years. However, she kept relapsing and going back to him in her codependency uh, you know, okay. to rescue him. 
And, of course, it never ended well with Tamara getting hurt and getting used by him financially, emotionally, all of that. She got Mm -hmm. so down on herself, so filled with shame. What Tamara and I started doing was tracing her emotional chain of events that would put her in a vulnerable place. And from that, then she learned to interrupt that change so the chain, excuse me, so that she could make healthier, different choices. And what we discovered is that one of her initial, remember I used the word triggers a minute ago, yes. was uh-huh. when the phone rang, her cell phone rang or her home phone rang, and she could see it was her former husband's name and yes. number or a text. That immediately, just instantly, triggered her into a place of vulnerability. And so, and there were other things that we did, believe me, but one thing that she learned is that she could not pick up that phone or answer that text because it just immediately, that those life messages that, that and I can talk about a little bit more in a minute, that she had about, you know, not, that needing, needing to be loved and needing to give her love mm-hmm. to someone here and that set her on that relapse path. So that's what I mean by, it's not a lack of willpower is that there are these psychological, physiological, triggers. emotional triggers or precipitating factors. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, there was a, the, <laughs> I, I wanted to sh- share with the listeners, today I was driving in my car and in front of me was my ex. And hmm. I haven't spoken or seen him in many, many years. And... The, the trigger that of all the emotions that flowed through me was amazing. Mm. But what was even better was the fact that I just kept on driving. Exactly. <laughs> yes. But didn't say hi, didn't do anything, just kept on going. <laughs> oh, Denise, isn't that, and, and isn't it amazing how quickly they come up? Whoa. Yeah, they're, just, they're, they're just, boom, they're just right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you took so I care of see. yourself. Exactly, exactly. So mm. I can still relate to to that trigger for your your client. You know, your client. She became mm. so vulnerable to just seeing those texts and those messages. And yeah, to protect yourself, you gotta just keep on going. Ignore Absolute. them. Absolutely. Yes. And and but just being aware of that. There, you know, so many individuals aren't, you know, aware of if and. And that's just one of the, and I say this in Mountaineer, one of the beauties of the lessons of relapse is that we can go back and we can trace, and I have clients do this, their chain of events, and they can go back and say, okay, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And then I ask them, and how did you feel when you return the call? How did you feel then when you went over there and he belittled and berated you? How did you then feel? Okay, and, and, and processing that and then backing up that chain of events and finding those vulnerable, weak links and shoring them up with new boundaries, which is part of the recovery work. Well, it takes great strength to be able to do that. Yeah. Incredible amount of strength. It does. And that's where your that's where your work comes in and that's where your clients' work comes in. Is like you said, shoring them up, getting them strong, um, building up their self worth. Yes. Yes. And and believing you know, and it which is it takes a while, but believing that there are such valuable you know, we don't want to stay in relapse. I'm not advocating that at all. But we want to take a look and spend time at the lessons that we can learn from it. I mean, it's it's why, again, I wrote Mountaineer and why I share it because mm-hmm. it. I have a quote in there. I, I don't. I think you. It's, it's in the text, and I think maybe even at the beginning there it says, you know, don't stay too long in the shame-filled grounds of relapse. Fertile soil awaits your return and your recovering. It's yes. there for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, you, and you also have um, 
on one of your pages, my truth is mine and mine alone. It centers me and comforts me. I share it freely and honestly, helping others to honor their own. I love that. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Denise. I Yes, I, I again, if someone's listening that has relapsed in any way, shape, or form, I want them to know you are not alone. And it is, it is forgivable to lose our truths. We all do it mm-hmm. at one time mm-hmm. or another. And yet I say it's unforgivable not to reclaim them. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. It's our work and our responsibility to do so. Yeah, we're we're talking today with Holly Kinley. She's the author of Mountain Air. She's a marriage and family therapist. So how does someone choose wellness? Okay, do we have another hour? (laughs) (laughs) No, actually we have about 14 minutes. (laughs) I know. I think what I'd, I'd like, I know, Denise, I, look, our time is going by so fast. Um, I, there in, in Mountaineer, there are, I break it down into to five healing steps. And I want to say that up front because we, I, we probably, we, we're not going to be able to get through all of them. And, but I also say that because when you feel overwhelmed and you feel that you can't, continue again is that if you break things up into steps like I hope that I have kind of even in our talk today that that is what recovery is about you know when we get injured bodily we get ill or we get a disease or we fall and we break something you know what Denise we don't have any problem giving ourselves permission to heal you know, with the cast or what surgery or whatever. I don't know what it is about mental health and wellness that we can't give ourselves permission and give ourselves time to so go complex. through the process. <laughs> it's complex, very complex. And, and I think we want a quick fix. You know, we want we want the pain to stop. But it's don't why want to do the I, work. Yeah. It's why I broke it up into these five uh, different, you know, sections and, and, and pieces because it, it's, it is going to take a little bit of time. It can't, doesn't mean you're not working them simultaneously once you get mm-hmm. through them. But um, so let me, we'll just kind of go back. And I think we kind of answered this already, so I won't spend too much time on it. But in my opinion, Denise, as we talked about, in order to begin We've got to start removing those masks of denial, disguise, and detachment. And, and then right along with that, of course, addressing the shame. That, that kind of goes hand in hand mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the shame is keeping us from breaking through the denial and the denial is keeping us from breaking through the shame. So mm-hmm. there you know, are specific exercises and, and tools and strategies to, to, to do that, and we, we've, we've touched upon that a little bit. I do think that it's really, really important, as I talked about, going through the, um, the chain of events, looking at our triggers, and you know, triggers, as you said, can be a sight, can be a smell, it can be a, a memory, it can be a flashback, it can be driving by a bar, it, it, it can be anything. So it's really important to go back and look at triggers. You know, when I was working with Tamara, I'll, I'll go back to her again, the one with the alcoholic ex-husband, and as we were peeling away the layers of shame and, and getting rid of those we're processing and and removing those outer layers of shame. And we got into her uh, life messages again. And her father was an abusive alcoholic and abandoned the family. And her mother was also extremely abusive. And so Tamara's life messages were so strong about I'm nothing, I'm ugly, I'm unwanted, I'm mm. not worthy, mm. that, uh, again, here, Denise, is that example is until we really, really spent time processing those, 
rewriting them, healing them, reframing them, is that we couldn't fully remove all the shame and and really get her in a place of where she could sustain and, and maintain her recovering. So hmm. it, it is very complicated and complex, but those those steps are, are really, really important. Um, then I move on and I talk about releasing, un, you know, the whole book is written as a metaphor. I talk about re- releasing unfertile debris, the process of forgiveness of yourself and others, and those people in a 12-step program can are certainly connect to that. But something that I talk about, Denise, that is often not mentioned is what I call internal forgiveness and then external forgiveness, especially when we're talking about relapse and releasing. Um, so it's not only letting go of all these n- nasty and debilitating emotions that we carry with us, but it's also cleaning out and removing people, places, and things that are not contributing to our path of wellness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's hard work as well. It is, because you have to leave a lot behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy. You know, some people have to move. Some people have to give up friends or family members in their recovery process. Yes, absolutely. Um, I know that, and I know you've read Mountaineer, that I write about that as much as I wanted to be near my family, is that Mm -hmm. there were just too many triggers in the environment. And and it wasn't an escape. I want to make that clear. It's not about escaping what isn't healing to you. It's about protecting yourself yeah, and your word. truth. It's so, that's yeah, very word. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Protecting. I mean, it's, you choose your life. Mm-hmm. Again, yes, we we know. Well, when we, especially when we're as we're working on our recovering and and when we're no longer numbing to whatever the the mechanisms are, and we come into contact with our truth, then we we know that we want to keep that safe and we want to protect it. Sometimes we don't know how, but that's where you know recovery groups and and good books and 12-step programs and all of that comes into play and reminds us of of what we we need to do. And the fourth step, kind of this goes along with what I'm going to say, is this replenishment is, you know, it's absolutely vital to clean out and to remove unhealthy emotions and people, places, and things. But then it, you know, if this is basically basic behavior modification 101, we have to replace (laughs) an old way of being with a new and and healthy way of being. And, Mm -hmm. or again, reinviting and reintegrating practices that we know that worked for us and bringing Mm -hmm. those back in. Mm -hmm. And making... Our wellness, this is so important, a priority. Mm-hmm. We have to. Um, and people in 12-step know that as well. And, and I just, you know, a lot of people say, well, Holly, why, why is it that, you know, I just keep falling off and, and I just I keep trying. I know, I've, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I usually will say, are you making it a priority? Well, mm-hmm. no, I just thought I could kind of slip it in here or, you know, put it there, and, and, and I don't, I mean, I don't mean to sound harsh, but until you make it a priority, how are you going to sustain it as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's really important. Rejoice in the regrowth. Mm. Can you get in? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Um, I, you know, one thing I wanted to say about forgiveness, um, 
that I think is just really important before I get there is that because a lot of times people will say, oh, Holly, well, I've worked on releasing or forgiving, and, and it just comes back. And, and just a reminder that that is a process. Okay, or Of course, those stinking, thinking thoughts come back and those lies, personality lies come back. <laughs> you have to do it again and again and again and just have mm-hmm. that tool there of releasing it. And another thing I wanted to say, because a lot of people struggle with the word forgive. Um, some people don't. Some people it's really easy, but others kind of struggle. And not too long ago, I, I reviewed a book for a friend of mine. It's called Betrayal, Trust, and Forgiveness. It's just a beautiful book on all different kinds of betrayal. And she has, it's by Dr. Beth Hedva, and she has a definition of forgiveness in there is that if you look at the word forgiving, is that when you forgive yourself, this is an opportunity for giving back to yourself. Mm-hmm. That you know, we're we're we've we've beat ourselves up. We've done. We've chosen what we've chosen. Now, this is a time for us to replenish and to give back to ourselves and to restore ourselves and rebuild ourselves with the boundaries and everything else that we've talked about. So I, I just wanted to, to mention those two things. That's the, great. The last thing, <laughs> which I, I, I think are really important. Um, mm-hmm. re, the last step in, the, in, my, in Mountaineer is rejoicing in the regrowth. Sometimes, Denise, I don't think that we take enough time to celebrate even the little victories I know, you know, relapse, as we've talked about, carries with it, you know, so much self-recrimination. And Mm -hmm. we do need to hold ourselves accountable. But along the way is that we also need to rejoice. And, I mean, I say life is about recovering and it's about rejoicing. And Mm -hmm. even those little steps, those small victories, um, we, we need to take that time to do that because, as I said earlier, relapse can teach us so many things that we didn't know before. I believe, know, and trust without a doubt, Denise, that whatever we go through in life, whether it's relapse or something else, that we are being protected for something and we then can protect our truth as we learn more about mm-hmm. them from relapse, we're being prepared with new truths as we look at that chain of events and learn how to re-secure those and build new ones. And then get ready because you're going to be propelled forward with hope and with strength if we're open to it and if we're ready and willing to do the hard work. So if anything else that I could say as we come to a close, if I'm looking at the time accurately, <laughs> is one of, the, <laughs> one of the biggest, again, traps or mistakes that, that individuals make is they don't take the time, and I include myself in this, to be still and not to rush the process. Because when we're still in our quiet times and in our journaling times and in our even in quiet group times is when we come into touch with what our truths are. So just be still. Don't rush the process. If you do, it sabotages its legitimacy and its longevity. Give each step time for it to heal and to form and take hold, just like a vine, a new vine coming out of that fertile soil. And do it one day at a time, one step at a time. As I say in Mountaineer, one breath at a time. Beautiful. Would you let our listeners know where they can purchase your book? I'd love to. The most economical way, and I don't get anything from Amazon other than just a place for them to sell my books, um, of course, royalties. But, you know, it's just the most economical way. It's You can get it um, digitally or or um, or a hard copy or soft-bound copy. And so just going to Amazon.com, uh, I have an author page there, which is Holly with an I, Kenley. Uh, they can Google my name, and it will probably come up with Amazon. 
and or they can order it through any bookstore. Um, it's it's you know carried through the major distributors. It's through Loving Healing Press, so it's it's gone through major distributors, so it can be ordered that way as well. But easy Wonderful. and economical through Amazon. Great, great. Well, I have thoroughly, I mean thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and the information you've imparted to us has in my opinion, been invaluable. And I just want to take this opportunity to to give you a very special thank you for your time and your passion. Mm. Denise, thank you so much for the opportunity. And if people have any questions or want to contact me, please go to my website. I'd love to encourage you. I don't do therapy online, but to support you, encourage you Mm -hmm. on your journeys towards wellness. Wonderful. Why don't you give them the website? Thank you. It's www.holly, with an I, Kenley, K-E-N-L-E-Y, dot com. And again, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Holly. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Denise. Bye-bye. I so appreciate it. Bye-bye. Okay, listeners, um, please join us again next Wednesday at uh, same time, 4 o'clock. And um, I'm sure we're going to have a fabulous show for you. Bye-bye for now. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at healthmedianow and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? Listeners, I just wanted to remind you that the entire contents of this radio show are based upon the opinions of Denise and her guest. It is not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional and it's not intended as medical advice. We're sharing knowledge and information within our community. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Thank you. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.